So, Vayigash Elav Yehuda. Yehuda now approaches approaches Joseph. What has happened in the interim? Well, Yosef has taken Binyamin captive. His brother, his little brother Binyamin captive. Nobody knows that he's Yosef yet. He hasn't revealed his identity. And now the brothers are going nuts. They come, they bring the brother. The father didn't want to send him. Jacob didn't want to send him. He said, something's going to happen to him. I know it. Something happened to Joseph on the way and Rachel on the way. I'm not sending Benjamin. And Judah says, well, we got to take Benjamin or we're all going to starve. So finally, Jacob says, okay, take him. And he just has a really bad feeling about it. And now, sure enough, Benjamin is being held captive by this viceroy uh, whose name is Joseph, but they don't know that. And how did that happen? Well, Joseph had planted his cup, his special cup in Benjamin's pack and then, and then had him arrested for stealing the cup and said, oh, I got to keep this guy as a slave because he's a thief. Now, what is Yosef doing here? He's setting up the brothers to do teshuva, to see, did they are they actually uh, remorseful for what they did to him, trying to sell him down the river, get rid of him because he was from the other, other mother, from Rachel, not from Leah, and he was a threat to them. And they wanted to kill him. And now they have the opportunity with Benjamin to say, well, sorry, dad. The other son of Rachel was taken by the viceroy of Egypt. There's nothing we could do about it. And the inheritance goes to them, the children of Leah. And they will pass this test with flying colors. As a medrash especially tells us, they were willing to fight all of Egypt to get their brother back. Verse 18, Vayigashe love Yehuda, and Yehuda approached Judah. Vayoymer, <clears throat> and he said, Be Adoni, please, my lord, let your servant speak a word in the ears of my master, and let your servant not get angry, do not become wrathful with your servant because you are like Pharaoh. What does it mean you're like Pharaoh? You would think that that's a compliment. You're so great. You're like Paro. Why is he saying, don't become wrathful with me? Why would he become wrathful? And these are some of the things that Rashi is going to address, that there's a lot going on between the lines here in Yosef's little speech. Switching microphone. Hopefully that will be clearer for our recorded audience. Okay. So, don't become, let your wrath not be kindled. That's a good one. From here, from these words, you derive that Judah spoke harshly with him. How do you know? Because he said, don't become, don't let your wrath be kindled. If you just read it, um, on the surface, why should his wrath be kindled? He's just trying to, you know, uh, present his case. Obviously, there's something happening that's not being spelled out that would cause him to become wrathful, as Rashi gives us that between the lines that he spoke harshly with Joseph. So throughout this whole conversation, it's a mix of diplomacy, of flattery, but also a little bit of showing a little bit of muscle 
that you know, and threat like if this doesn't go well we may have to take measures he may have to move around some furniture here you are like paro you are as important you're esteemed in my eyes like a king that's the simple meaning but the midrash says that he was hinting to him something not so pot not so not so uh not so pot not so um flattering what do you say he goes back to history and he says you know you egyptians you have a history of taking captive hostage us hebrews if you recall um, the ancient the pharaoh took my gr- grandmother, great great grandmother Sarah, for one night, and what happened to him? He was plagued with tzadas, with a skin disease. So, if you hold on to our Benjamin, the same thing will happen to you. That just what happened what happened to Paro of old, who was punished for holding Sarah against her will, the same thing will happen to you. Yet another explanation. He wasn't threatening him in this explanation, but he is criticizing him. He's saying, you are like Paro, not in a good way. Just as Paro decrees, and he doesn't fulfill his decree, he makes uh, guarantees, and then he doesn't fulfill them. You are the same. How do we see that? When you first told us about you asked us about our little brother Benjamin. You said, "Bring him here. I wanna, I wanna look at him. I wanna see him. I wanna set my eye upon him." Is this called setting an eye upon him to hold him in prison as a, as a slave? And yet another interpretation. This is unusual. Rashi gives so many interpretations on one phrase. I think we're up to four. Finally, he says, "If you will anger me, your fate." will be the same as Paro's. I will kill you, and I will kill your master. Then be fighting words. This is tough talk from Judah. My Lord asked his servant, saying, it's still very respectful. <laughs> I'm going to kill you, but respectfully. My master asked, his servant saying, Do you have a father or a brother? From the beginning, says Rashi, you're coming upon us with a pretext. Why are you asking us these questions? Are we trying to marry your daughter that you're looking into our family? Or are we trying to marry your sister? And even though these were strange questions, we told you. We didn't hide anything from you. We told my, my master, we have an old father. And a young child of his old age, Yelid Zikunim, the Achiv Mace, his brother is dead. He is remains alone to his mother and to his father. I'm sorry, to his mother. His father loves him. Now Rashi comments, why did they say his brother died? They knew that Yosef had not died. Why did they say he died? Says Rashi, they were afraid. And because of their fear, they lied. They, they, um, <clears throat> a, a false word came out of their mouth. They thought he sought themselves. Judah thought to himself, "If I'm going to tell him I have another brother who's alive, 
he's going to tell me to bring him just like he told me to bring Benjamin. So better, I should say, he's not alive. What does it mean alone of his mother? From that mother, he has no other, no other brother. And you said to your servants, bring him down to me and I will place my eye upon him. And we said to my master, the young lad cannot leave his father. If he leaves his father, he will die. Who's going to die? Rashi says, talking about Benjamin. Why? Rashi says, if he leaves his father, we are afraid that he will die along the way because his mother died along the way. Rachel, Benjamin, and Joseph's mother died along the way and to this day buried in Beis Lechem along the way. Bethlehem. You said to your servants, if your youngest brother does not come down with you, do not come back to see my face again. You will not see my face again. Interesting. Paro actually says the same words to Mo Moshe. Verse 24. And it was when we went up. Going to Israel from Egypt is going up. To your servant, my father. And we told him the words of my master. And, we, and, and our father said, return. And buy us a little food. And we said, we cannot go down. If we have our youngest brother with us, we'll go down. Because, but if not, we can't go down. Why? Because we cannot see the face of that man. And our youngest brother is not with us. And your servant, our, my father, said to us, you know, that my wife bore two children to me. The first one left me, and I said, he has surely been torn to pieces. Taroif Toiraf, a wild beast. I haven't seen him until since. I haven't seen him since. And now you're going to take this one also from, my, before, from before me, and a misfortune will happen to him. And you're going to bring down my hoary head in misery to the grave. Why, why, was, why was Yaakov so afraid? It says, Rashi says, Satan accuses at the time of danger. This is why a person is not supposed to put themselves in danger. Say, well, you know, isn't God watching or isn't, uh, you know, this is my time. If it's not my time, I'll be safe. No, the Satan has a power that in a time of danger, he will, he will say, oh, this person deserves to be hurt. So therefore, we, we avoid danger. When Benjamin is with me, I am comforted him, comforted by him over his mother's loss and over the loss of his brother. And if he will die, it's as if all of them will have died on one day. Wow. And now, when I will come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us. Not good news. Why? Because his soul is attached to his soul, to Benjamin's soul. Jacob and Benjamin, their souls are attached. I, 
interesting that he refers to Yaakov, Judah refers to Yaakov as Joseph's servant many times. I forgot how many times, I think it's 10 times. And the Medrash comments that he is punished for that. I'm not sure if it's in Rashi. Medrash comments that Yosef is punished for allowing his father to be referred to as Joseph's servant 10 times. I think we have time to go into tomorrow's uh, Parsha. Yeah, so we'll do that. For Monday, the 2nd of Tevet. Judah continues. And it will be when he will see that the boy is not here. He's going to die. And your servants will have brought down the hoary head of your servant, our father, in grief to the grave. Why is he going to die? He's going to die from, from, from the calamity, from the, from, the, from, the, from the pain. Now, Rashi explains. I'm going to say Rashi before I start the verse. If you're going to say, why am I the one who is fighting for Benjamin? Why am I entering the fray more than my other brothers? Not the oldest. Judah is not the oldest. Reuben is the oldest. He's not even second or third. He's number four. Judah is the fourth. So why, why am I, if Joseph, you're going to say, why am I getting involved? They are all standing from the outside without commitment. I tied myself. I bound myself with a strong bond to be an outcast in both worlds. If I promise my father that I'm going to bring Benjamin back, when he was hesitating, I said, I guarantee it. And if I don't bring him back, I will be an outcast in both worlds. And by the way, Rashi tells us later that because of these words, because, because of the, the promise that he made, it actually had, the, they had an impact on him. And his bones were, were not at rest until um, they came to the land of Israel. For your servant, assume responsibility. I'm an Arav. In, in Hebrew, the word for like a guarantor on a loan is Arav, a guarantor. There's also an expression that all Jews are guarantors for each other, are responsible for each other. So why am I getting involved here more than the other brothers? Because I'm the one who guaranteed to bring them back. And I said, I told my father, if I don't bring them back to you, I will have sinned against my father forever. In both worlds, as Rashi says. And now, here's my offer. Me, Judah, as Rashi says, I'm better than Benjamin in all things. I'm stronger than him. I'm better than for war. I'm better for, for service. I will sit as a, as a servant instead of Benjamin. I'll be a servant to my master. And let the boy... Benjamin, go up with his brothers. How will I go up to my father? And the boy is not with me. Let me, let me not sit, see the misery that will befall my father. As at this point, where Yosef has brought the brothers to exactly the point that he was trying to get them to from the beginning, he strategized and orchestrated the whole story where Benjamin would be brought down and there would be the threat of Benjamin being taken and to see what their reaction is, to see if they've done Teshuvah, 
the opposite of what they did to Yosef, where they, they sold him down the river, they killed him, they wanted to kill him, or they sold him as a slave. Here, they put themselves on the line, as Rashi tells us, to save Benjamin, the exact opposite of what they did to Yosef. That's Teshuva. Yosef could not hold himself back. Although standing beside him, and he called out. I'm sorry. Um, I mistranslated. Rashi explains it as follows. He could not bear that Egyptians would stand beside him and hear his brothers being embarrassed when he would make himself known to them. In other words, when I look at this, it looks like Yosef can't control his emotions anymore. He couldn't, could, could not lisapek, is to hold, is hold, is hold in one's emotion. You have that in the Megillah, by the way. And I, I mentioned, I think, that in the Megillah, in the story of Purim, there's many similar um, words that are used in the story of Yosef and the story of the Megillah. So this word, lihisapek, the root of it is a present in the Megillah. When Haman, Haman, is really upset, but he holds it, he holds it, he holds himself back from expressing it. It's why Sapak, Haman. Uh, Haman uh, holds himself back. So that's why I thought that's what it meant here that Yosef can't can't hold himself back. But Rashi explains it differently. He says he could not bear. He, so now he's ready to reveal himself to his brothers, but he doesn't want to do it with the Egyptians present because he doesn't want his brothers to be embarrassed when he would make himself known to them. And this is the second time we see in the Torah that it's better to put yourself at risk, even in mortal danger, not to embarrass another person. Because Yosef is now putting himself in mortal danger by telling all of the Egyptians to get out of the room, all of his guards. He's telling them to leave, and now he's at the mercy of these 10 dudes who very well would like to kill him. Where do we see it before? When Tamar refused to embarrass Judah and say that she is pregnant from him and instead said, let Judah decide if he wants to reveal um, who she is pregnant from. So there's two instances in the Torah where we see the importance of not shaming another. So what happened is he says, he said, he calls out and he says, let all men go out of here from upon me. And no man stood there when Yosef made himself known to his brothers. He wept out loud. Egypt heard. And the house of Paro heard. Not that the house heard, as Rashi said, but his household heard. His servants, his family. Yosef said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? That tune is very important. Is my father still alive? What does the tune say? It's, it's incredul incredulity. This is how the Rebbe interprets it. it says, Can my father still be alive after all the suffering? Because when the brothers don't answer this question, because it's not really a question, it's, it's, a, it's a rhetorical um, outcry. 
His brothers could not respond to him. They were startled from before him. Why? What's Nivhalu? He says startled. Nivhalu, they were like, they were uh, shooken up. Because of the shame. The shame. They couldn't respond. The shame. Yosef said to his brothers, come close to me. As Rashi says, why do you have to say come close? Because they had backed off. When he said, I'm Yosef, they instinctively moved back. So he says, no, 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 come close. He spoke to them softly. Please come close to me. And he said, I am Yosef, your brother, whom you sold to Egypt. And he showed them that he is Mahul, that he has a circumcision. And now do not be sad. Let it not trouble you. It shouldn't be wrathful in your eyes that you sold me here. For it was to preserve life that God sent me before you. Right? How is that? Because for two years now, for two years, already two years, there's been a famine in the land. And it's going to be another five years that there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God, by the way, this won't actually happen. When Yaakov comes down to Egypt, the rest of the seven years, the five years that were left of the famine, based on the dream, uh, will stop. In, in Jacob's merit, the famine ends after just two years. But here, Yosef is saying, based on the dream, it's going to be another five years. And God sent me before you. It's to make for you a remnant in the land and to preserve it for a great deliverance. This is one of the most powerful passages in the Torah. Every Torah is every passage in the Torah is powerful, but this one we get the power, at least a taste of it, which is the Yosef, the way Yosef views this whole thing. That day you think you sold me here. No, I was not sold. I was sent. I'm on a mission. I'm not a victim, but I am an ambassador of God to be in the right place at the right time. He's not angry at them, he's not taking any revenge of them. He's even telling them, don't be sad. Don't worry about it. Interesting. I just heard uh, the other night somebody was saying that, you know, when it comes to doing repentance, people realize they made a mistake. The natural instinct is to become sad. And as Alter Rebbe writes in the Tanya, in Hasidic, Hasidus emphasizes sadness is typically not good. Not good for your health and not good for the world. Could be healthy sadness that like, brings to good things, but it's a very dangerous thing to do. And so he says, "Al If you, if you, if you, if you, if you, if you want to repent, if you realize you made a mistake, don't, 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 don't go into sadness. That may not take you where you need to go. Even teshuva, even repentance, should be done out of joy. And so this is a very powerful, powerful moment where everything becomes clear to the brothers. Everything that was. Um, complicated and very confusing to them now becomes clear and as uh, Marcos our congregant who is now in Israel likes to say that when Mashiach comes it's going to be this type of a moment right now in Gullis in the exile we have so much confusion we have so much so many questions that we don't understand Mashiach comes it'll be like this moment where God 
where Moshe Yosef says, I am Yosef, and everything becomes clear, God will say, I am God, and we'll recognize God's face and God's hand behind everything that happened in the exile, and it will all become illuminated. Questions, comments, or anything else you'd like to share? Carrie. Thank you, Rabbi. I see a parallel. I'll hear you. Can you hear me now? No? I can, can you hear me? I like it. I like where you're going with it. Can you hear me? I still can't hear you. Really? I can hear you. I'm not sure why you can't hear me. Bill can okay. hear me. Maybe try the chat. Okay. Matt, did you hear? Or you're thumb giving a thumbs up for the chat? I can hear. I can hear. In here, you can hear. Oh, it's me. Yeah, it's yours. It's yours. I can't hear. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm hearing. I'm hearing as well. <laughs> Maybe someone could rephrase it ah, for the rabbi. But first, I said thank you, and then I was going to comment that there's a parallel between uh, when Esau greets Yaakov and when Joseph greets his brothers, because they both show Esau and Joseph. Um, kindness when they could be angry, they show mercy, and they also, in the case of Joseph, uh, Joseph, he goes beyond that to uh, not shame his brothers. Beautiful, thank you. So, it's, you see, reconciliation twice. I was going to comment that it's very powerful, it could move that point that you made, really, that he could move beyond the sadness to an acceptance of God's plan. But that was more important than anything. And that brought a good feeling, even though there was sadness underneath it, I guess, for what happened. But, but the primary thing was the acceptance of that and saying to them, don't, don't be troubled by it. Because he, he let it go already. He moved through that. That was powerful. It is very powerful. Yeah, and Yosef is in the in the chapter twelve of Tanya, or the end of chapter twelve of Tanya. Um, the Alter Rebbe cites Yosef as an example, Yosef Emechov, that he was able to forgive in that way. It's like, wow. I mean, Esav carried your point. Yes, Esav uh, was quite angry at Yaakov for stealing the blessings. Um although he had sold him the birthright, but he, he viewed it as he, he took his blessings. And here, they actually tried to kill him and sold him down as a slave. So yes, to be able to forgive. On the other hand, Yosef was already, he, already, he had been out of slavery and was now the viceroy of Egypt. So in a way, it's kind of easier to forgive and say and see the hand of God because he already saw the hand of God how this is what's really meant to be for him to become and he was he was in a good place right um, magnanimous in victory I think it was called but but even when he was at his his lowest he was um, Dave I think we learned today that he was always giving credit to God that's how he got Pharaoh's attention he was always whispering, Thank God for this. Thank God for this. And he was just being him. You know, I don't think he could ever 
be another way. But exactly. it, was, it, it was very interesting that his emotions did get the better of him. That he wasn't able to control? Yeah. Well, according to Rashi, it doesn't mean that, but probably commentators that do read it that way. But yeah, Matt, to your point, you, 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 you beat me to the punchline. Yosef's, Yosef's um, special quality, so anybody could be magnanimous in victory. Like once you see how God's plan uh, played out and everything worked out, it's easy to say, oh, it's all God's hand, right? But as Matt says, Yosef's special quality is always when he was still down in the, in the dumps, in the dungeon. He still was able to say, he still was able to have a good mood, stay in a good mood. And um, he didn't get him down because even then when God's hand and face was hidden, he understood that he's on a mission. It wasn't, it didn't take for him to, um, you know, become the viceroy of Egypt to come to that realization. A very good point. Can we accept God's plan even when we're in the midst of suffering? Not That's where the challenge is. Bidiuk. That means exactly in Hebrew. What else? Anyone has a Hanukkah insight? Special. Hanukkah is very special. It, it touches a part of the soul of the heart, the Jewish heart, in a unique way. I was mentioning it at the beginning, you know, driving down the street today with our menorah parade and just seeing how people light up seeing it. And, um, you know, everybody knows Hanukkah. Uh, it's uh, one of the traditions. I mean, people try to give sociological reasons in America of why <laughs> the Jews, even the assimil so-called assimilated Jews, embrace Hanukkah. I don't, I don't buy the sociology. I like the spiritual explanation that the light of Hanukkah is so powerful and touches such a deep place in the Jewish heart. That's why, that's why Hanukkah is observed even by those who maybe have dropped other things. I don't know if I shared this, but one of the most beautiful ideas that I heard about Hanukkah is that it is, there are 36 flames on Hanukkah total. One, two, three, seven, eight. Um, and the idea behind that is there were 36 hours that Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden from when they were created till the end of Shabbat, so a day and a half. And the light of the initial light of creation, which was the light of clarity, the light of divinity that filled the world, which God took away and hid for the future, there's a hint to them. That was 36 hours that Adam and Eve, our collective parents, collective consciousness, imbibed that. And then in the lights of Hanukkah, that spirit, that light of the, earth, of, the, of the beginning of creation and that light that will be re re returned when Mashiach comes, you get a se sense of that and a taste of that in the lights of Hanukkah. That's why it's so powerful. It's able to light up the outside, light up the darkness. 